Welcome to The Real Enneagram, A Spiritual Quest, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. Join us as we experience the vital teachings of Enneagram expert Dr. Joseph Howell, clinical psychologist and author of Becoming Conscious, The Enneagram's Forgotten Passageway. Relax as you are taken beyond personality typing to The Real Enneagram, The Spiritual Development of the Soul. Welcome back to a podcast entitled The Real Enneagram, A Spiritual Quest. Thank you for joining us today. We have a really special podcast from Dr. Joseph Howell where he will be talking to us about how we make the shift from ego to essence. And we get questions every week from people all over the country and even questions from uh, all over the world about this. And the questions usually are stated something like, you know, I know that I'm an ego type eight, for example, how do I make the shift to my essence or to my heart point or to my soul child at the, at the point of two? And for every number that's different, but we get those questions. How do I make the shift? You know, you know, we try to teach with the Institute for Conscious Being that this work is not just about personality typing, that this work is, you know, the Enneagram is a tool for personal transformation. It's a way for us to shift from ego and all of the sufferings from our ego traps to our essence, and that's the place where we find true joy. For me, for the ego type eight, as I move from the, you know, the ego type eight to the two, I take the wisdom of the eight, the ability to be decisive, the ability to be strong in difficult situations, and I merge that with my essence at the two, which is nurturing and loving, and there's a servanthood at the two that comes from the heart. And when when the ego uh, and the soul come together and the soul is able to drive, it's a wonderful thing, and that's the place where we find joy. So today, Dr. Howell uh, talks about that. We talk a lot about spiritual practice, and uh, if you don't like the word spiritual, I understand that. Don't use that word. It's a daily practice of getting in touch with the very ground of your own being. And so he'll go through that today, and I you know, encourage you to uh, participate and uh, to begin to use these practices in your life because they are, they're life-giving and they're life-changing. So again, thank you for joining us today. Today we will have an example of one of the things that we can do in our spiritual practice. And the spiritual practice is to facilitate the shift from our ego mind uh, to our um, uh, seat of consciousness, with it, which is our soul. Um, so often we are beleaguered when we think about shifting from one thing to the other. Think uh, of when we're concentrating uh, when we're taking an exam or when we're driving, we do not want to shift from what we're doing because um, it disrupts the train of thought. But spiritual practice is more than a train of thought. It is the body and the mind 
and the heart coming together to transcend fears and shame and anger and those things that would keep us in the ego state. We know that there are nine basic types of egos. The ego of the one which wants to be right and avoids being angry. The ego of the two which wants to be helpful and is pride-ridden and avoids their own needs. And then there's the ego of type three or point three that wants to accomplish for the sake of being loved because they feel so unlovable and they avoid failure. Then there is four, that ego that feels passed over and that is not recognized and therefore they avoid being uncommon and going with the crowd and they have to distinguish themselves in some way in order to feel that they are truly alive. So they avoid commonality. And then the ego of the five avoids inner emptiness, that hollow feeling that they feel is um, satisfied only when um, a person has enough information inside of them. And so that they avoid their inner emptiness and um, are always on the lookout for more to observe and more to know. And then there's the six who avoids fear and inner deviance. Um, they do not want to be unlike others because their defects could uh, separate them from the crowd, the family, the pack, which gives them protection and life and a way to move in the world. So they um, always avoid their own defects and deviances. Likewise, uh, in the fear center, the seven avoids their um, inner fear of depravity and their inner fear of having to face pain and grief in any form. So they continue to indulge themselves and plan and plan and plan so that their lives uh, are a seamless plan from one thing to another. Therefore, at that point, they never have to stop lily pad hopping and sit with their pain but they are filled with distraction and then the eight ego which says to the world I am strong they avoid their own inner weakness and they don't like the weaknesses of other people either these are people who we definitely need because of their strength however we must be totally aware that eights have a heart of gold but can never get to it if their ego is in charge, having the stance of being the strong person, the terminator, the intimidator. And then 
the ego of the nine says to the world, I am okay, they avoid conflict. And in avoiding conflict, they do not have to be confused or take sides or be thrown off base as to which um, opinion to take. They continue to lead lives which are softened by the relaxed, comfortable sloth, which is what was it was called in earlier times, the sloth of laziness, which dulls them and lets them go to sleep on their lives. In sleep, there is very little conflict, except in our dreams. So that rendition of the nine types in, on a thumbnail sketch lets us know how our egos uh, in a major way, um, run the show. And in their running the show, they can run families. They can run communities. The collective ego of organizations can run the organization, can run the church or the mosque or the synagogue or whatever place of worship there may be. Whenever the ego is in charge, the, the collective or the individual is living in egocentricity, which is that the ego's wishes, unhealthy though they may be, are what are central to that organization to that person, to that family, to that church. And the ego has tremendous ways of dressing it all up. Um, it doesn't look particularly like egocentricity, especially when people speak of how they uh, sacrificed to do something or how they did something selflessly for someone else or how that the group voted and thought that such and such was the best course. But it doesn't matter what um, the ego is dressed in. The facts are that if it is for self-gain and self-promotion, especially at the expense of other people's um, needs and um, um, wishes and um, other people's um, desires and without those being taken into consideration the ego can run roughshod over other people, over groups etc. But we can't close our eyes to the fact that the ego does exist and may look like it's selfish, but in fact, because it's the servant of the soul, it is following the soul's directives. And these may, in fact, look like they're egocentric directives, 
But if they're truly from soul, and if the soul is truly tethered to God, to the divine, to the consciousness of this cosmos, then there is what's called soul centricity. The central movement of the soul and its wishes and its desires in the individual, in the family, in the organization, in the church, in the community, in the state, and in the collective. <clears throat> so we do have a continuum on the left-hand side would be egocentricity, and on the extreme right would be absolute soul-centricity. How many of us are able to really live in the central force of the soul in this world that demands going to the store and driving and taking care of the mental, moral, financial, social, educational, and spiritual realms of our lives. That's a lot to do, a tremendous task. And the ego, because we're human, and because the ego tends to be quite efficient, it rears its head more often than not. So, the soul-centristic person is a person who allows soul to subsume the ego which becomes a servant to it. And the ego's wishes then become how to, as an individual or an organization, carry out the will of the individual and the collective soul. This is not a binary thing between egocentricity and soul-centricity. I mentioned that it is a continuum, and because it is a continuum, there are lots of spaces in between on that continuum where people fall in terms of allowing their ego to serve their soul. Would that it could be that our ego did it all the time. And there would be such a harmonious reaction between souls, which unlike the ego, all want the same thing. They want those holy ideas to be enacted, come alive, and lived in, in the individual, family, and collective life. But what do we do to make the shift from that ego-centricity to the soul-centricity. One of the things that the, we teach at the Institute for Conscious Being is that the shift is our spiritual quest. That the real spiritual life the real Enneagram, the real consciousness is done on basically an individual level first before it can move into the collective. And in so doing, 
that means that the spiritual practice of individuals has got to be daily, has got to be inspiring to the soul, has got to be generous to the ego who is really going out of business slowly, and has got to facilitate the divine connection that we all have to our source. Today I'm going to do a small meditation that will um, illustrate the a daily spiritual practice routine that may be just what some of you um, in the listening audience would like to do. This may not be for some of you, but at least listen to see if it can supply you a template for a type of spiritual meditation that would, in fact, fit your own spiritual uh, needs. So no matter what you're doing except for driving or child care, close your eyes and take a deep, deep breath. And allow your mind to go down, down, down to the deepest place of its being where no distractions live. Imagine yourself as a very young child playing in a beautiful environment. Are you outside? Are you in your swing? Are you in your room? Are you at the park? Are you at the beach or the mountain? Smell the smells of that place which brought you so much joy and bliss. Look at the colors, the intensity of Hear the sound, the beautiful sound of maybe dogs barking in the background or voices of joy of others in their environment. Feel the feelings of wind touching your skin, sun warming and the touch of those who care for you as they hug you, hold you, be close to you. And as you are there, settle into that little body and feel these sensations. Feel the taste of fresh air a berry you may pick, a blade of grass that you may chew on, a cookie that you may have been given, or a pretzel or cherio. All of your senses carry you down to the spring of your life, 
where you live in your nature and where you live out of your true name. In this settled feeling, you do not live in thoughts because thoughts have not yet captivated you. You do not live in egoic defenses or desires because these have not yet developed. You live out of pure love for what is in the present moment because that is the only time that you really have to live and that you've ever lived and you know it. As you enjoy this surrounding, you enjoy the bliss of being held by the world, by nature, by love itself. And when you are shifting to this kind of love, it reminds us of how we used to live daily no anger, no fear, no shame, no feeling of being unlovable, no feeling of being resentful that you are limited by a body, and no fear that you will be annihilated, punished, rejected. This is the state of your soul child. And there are several questions that you can ask your soul child. So as an adult, go up to him or her now and bend down and say to the soul child who is the inner, younger you, where have you been? and listen to their answer. And now listen to their question. Where have you been, they ask you. And listen to your answer. you may want to ask your soul child if you can remain with them to talk over how to be together once more. And as you sit with this inner you, your soul, who is full of mischief and full of runny nose and full of need for another, yet another, yet another cookie. There is the innocence that has the transparency to the divine. Even in its little temper tantrum, there is an honesty to its own discomfort, its own engendering will, 
its own evolution. Nevertheless, the transparency is evident. And that transparency still exists in you and me. Great masters have spoken of the importance of our essence. Great masters of all religions speak to the point that our true essence is really the kernel of truth that is about our being without the trappings of an ego. Just the pure us who lives out of our holy idea because it knows no other way to live because it's so fresh from heaven. We hope that many of you at the upcoming conference at Canuga in Hendersonville, North Carolina, October 31st through November 3rd, will be able to go into a greater depth regarding the soul child. And in this greater depth, go into more meaningful inner dialogue but how there are many conferences that we will be having the next one after that will be in Birmingham Alabama in February and then in March Swanee Tennessee at St. Mary's Retreat Center so this these podcasts give you a, a way to understand how this all-important shift is made which brings peace to the soul and to the collective that we are in. Thank you for letting me be with you today and to go over these very important signposts and compasses for our pathway. <laughs>